0: Good evening, glad you are here, glad you made the effort to be here tonight. A couple of quick announcements uh, before we get started. I want to remind you, coming up very quickly, very soon, uh, Saturday, October 15th, we'll start our 30-day revival. I want to encourage you to plan to be here, to plan to invite and encourage folks uh, to join you in that, and then be in prayer for that effort, uh, that God will take that and he'll use it, and it'll be a tremendous thing. So be in prayer for that. I also want to say thanks to everybody that had a part in our supper tonight. What a good job they did for our supper. Then... I want to encourage you, and we're going to pray right now for for rain. Uh, It's pretty interesting. Sometimes we we think, well, God's uh, he's going to do what he's going to do. Well, he actually tells us uh, to ask, and and the the act of asking is really an act of worship. He's the one that provides rain. Uh, He's the one that blesses us with that, and so he tells us uh, to ask. And so tonight is an act of of worship, we're going to come and ask. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We come. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for uh, the ability to come together and meet tonight. We're thankful for the food and the fellowship we've had tonight. We're thankful for the classes that are meeting right now. I'm, I'm thankful for the little kids' classes, uh, for the foundation of truth uh, that's going to be stacked tonight. I praise you for that opportunity. I pray that it matters. I pray that it bears fruit. I pray for our youth tonight, Lord, uh, as, as they face a different world, a hard world, a, a world where... Was where Satan would really want to just destroy them and, and, and to pull them in every which way, uh, but in, in the way that they should go with you uh, for your honor. So I pray for our youth, pray for their lesson, uh, pray for their meeting, and then I pray for our meeting tonight as well, that you would be known, that you would speak, that you would lead, uh, and that you would work tonight. Lord, I come and I pray for rain. I pray uh, that not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, uh, but because we need it, that you've trained us, nothing is too big and nothing is too small. And so we come as your people and we humble ourselves and we seek, uh, we seek a, a, an awesome result in the revival. We seek an awesome result in the Bible study. We also seek uh, rain for our land. We pray that you'd uh, graciously provide that for us. And then, Lord, we just come tonight and tell you we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to get started on our Bible study, the grand scheme of things. Uh, tonight we're in week 30. The lesson, if you got your worksheets titled entitled, A Royal Mess, and I thought about that. It really is a royal mess, but maybe a better name for us tonight would be this, or could be this, Don't Be Dumb. Don't be dumb. Now, don't get offended by that. You'll understand that a little bit later, but that could be a very good name uh, for this lesson for us tonight. We are... Looking at the life of David, we're about two weeks into looking at verses about his life. We're going to continue looking at the life of David tonight. Now, if you're going to read the section that our lesson will come from tonight, it's in 2 Samuel, chapters 8 all the way through chapter 12. Again, as we do every single Wednesday night, we're not going to have time to cover all of those chapters. I would encourage you uh, tonight or maybe sometimes before we meet again, maybe this weekend, to go and read those chapters to see Uh, The entire section in context, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8 all the way to chapter 12. We're going to pull our lesson out of those chapters tonight. Our key point tonight, uh, people, all people sin. And that's the truth of scripture. Uh, That's the reality of life. All of us sin. All people sin. And when they do, there are always consequences. Uh, There's not a sin that does not bear fruit, that does not have A consequence. When we sin, our sin always has consequences. Well, praise the Lord, uh, we have a Savior that is gracious and kind to us as sinners. And so that's our our key point tonight. All right, we're going to start off looking at a section on our worksheet entitled Good Times. Good Times. I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 8 and I'm going to read the entire chapter. So 2 Samuel. Chapter 8. Listen to this. Now, after this, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and measured with them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Then David defeated Hadazer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, and he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadazer, King of Zobah, David killed twenty-two thousand Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadeser, and brought them to Jerusalem, from Batah and Barothai, cities of Hadeser. King David took very a very large amount of bronze. We. Now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadeser, Toy sent Joram his son to King David to greet him and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadeser and defeated him, for Hadeser had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver and golds and bronze. King David also dedicated those to the Lord with the silver and the gold which he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and Moab and the sons of Ammon, the Philistines and Amalek, and the spoil of Hedezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Saul. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Hulud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Abhatub, and Elimelech, the son of Abathar, were priests, and Syria was secretary. Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, was over the Cherethites, and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief ministers. That's the second, the the eighth chapter. That's the events that have happened. Now David is entrenched. David is leading the unified nation. Notice this. Now here's what you notice. And the reason I read that entire crazy chapter is because it says this. Notice how many times it says, and David defeated them. And David defeated the Moabites. And David defeated the Edomites. And David defeated the Philistines. And David took control of the capital city of the Philistines. On and on and on and on. David was blessed by God with great success. Now it says two times in that chapter that his success was from God. God's the one that secured his success. But David was very, very successful. In fact, as you read that eighth chapter, it seems everything he does succeeds. He takes them over, he takes their bronze, he takes their gold, he takes a portion of them, makes them into slaves. Everything it seems he does succeeds. All right, we're getting ready to go into a a chunk of verses, a section of Scripture, which which really could be a survey of sin. Uh, What is sin? How does sin come about? What are the consequences of sin? A very important topic, we see it all the way through Scripture, but we're going to see that here in these chapters. Well, here's a question before we begin. Do you think that times of success make us more prone to fall into sin, to enter into sin, or times of hardship? And I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. Sometimes things are going good and things are going good, and we forget about God, we forget about who He is. And maybe it's easier when things are going good. And maybe you say, yeah, that's definitely the truth. Or maybe it's when things are hard and you can't get a break and it goes bad again, it goes wrong again and maybe you get hard-hearted and say, you know what, it doesn't seem to matter what I do, I'm gonna do what I wanna do anyway and you enter into sin during the hard times. We find here David is blessed by God. Now just think about that for a second. Shouldn't that make him wanna walk with God, wanna be obedient to God, wanna be faithful to God? God has established Him, called him, placed Him, and now He is successful. Wouldn't that uh, seem to, to just say, you know what David's going to be sold out to being obedient to God? In this great time of success, we're going to continue in the story in the account. The next part is called David stays. David stays. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to move into the 11th chapter. We're going to look at a bunch of it. We're going to look at it piece by piece. David stays. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, And David stayed at Jerusalem. I understand what's happening here. It's the spring of the year. Uh, They are still in the business of removing the pagan occupants of the land. They're still pagan occupants. God says remove them. They're still in that process, in that business. Well, at the time when the kings would go to battle, when they would take the army, they would go out and they would again begin this effort. It says this time in the spring of the year, that David sent Joab, his general, he sent all of the men, all of Israel, out to fight and it says this, but David stayed in Jerusalem. He stayed in the capital city. All right. Here's the first piece of what happens in this account. Everybody else goes, David stays. Now we're going to see a lot of things that, that come out of his staying, but everybody goes. It's the time to go and David stays. Now, The question is, why did he stay? What had changed? He'd killed 18,000 people. He'd killed 22,000 people. He was a great warrior. He was the great warrior. And then he led other warriors as well. And yet here he is staying in Jerusalem. Now, what could have caused that? Why would he have done that? Now, I don't know the answer. It doesn't tell us the answer. But I thought about some things that could have happened. You know what? He'd been fighting. Maybe he was tired of fighting. You know what? He'd killed everybody. He conquered all the great kings. Maybe he was bored of the effort. Maybe he thought, I've done all that. Maybe he was satisfied. We took all their gold. We took all their bronze. Maybe he was content. You know what? I'm going to let somebody else do it. Maybe he was just lazy. Maybe he just said, I've been going hard, and I've been doing all these things, and I'm the king, and I'm not going out this year. And Maybe he was just lazy apathetic, satisfied, content, bored, lazy, tired. Whatever reason, he let somebody else go do the work that they were supposed to be doing. Now, here's the first point to this. And this is for us tonight. I'm gonna try to make this as as really relevant as I can for us. God has a purpose for you. And as you're sitting here tonight, as you're listening in some other way, God has a purpose for you. And if you're young, he has a purpose for you. If you're single, he has a purpose for you. If you're married, he has a purpose for you. If you're a grandparent, a parent, he has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. And then listen to this. We are better when we're serving his purpose. You're better. Your life is better when you're serving the purpose of God. Now, now what I'm trying to say with that is this. We get in a lot less trouble when we're busy with the work that God has given us. And you know what? Instead of doing what he should have been doing, instead of leading the army, going out, he decided to stay home. You know what? For us, God has a purpose for you. And you know what? You get in a lot less trouble if you're about God's business. And you got a lot less time for drama and trouble and chaos. You watch folks and they just seem to run to those things. And you watch other folks, and it looks like they're on the straight line. We have a lot less time to get into trouble. We have a lot better lives when we are serving the purpose that God's given us. Now, we need to find this purpose. We need to be diligent in that purpose. Let me give you an example of that, and I'll just tell you, I, I have found this. I've seen this. Let me give you an example. Um, depression. And I, I know depression's a real thing, and I know some folks Uh, deal with hard issues of depression. One of the things i found about a lot of things, but especially about depression is this. It's hard to stay depressed when you're fulfilling a mission, when you have a sense of accomplishment in the mission you're doing. It's hard to stay depressed when you feel needed, when you're serving somebody else. And and a lot of times folks will, will be so depressed so depressed and it kind of snowballs and it kind of builds on itself and it it makes them take their eyes off of what God has for them to do and they start to look at themselves. You know what, I can't believe I'm here and I'm upset by this. I want to tell you this, if we would serve his purpose and be about his purpose, a cloud starts to lift off our head. You know what, I'm serving him. I have a sense of accomplishment in that. I have a reason to get up. Somebody's counting on me. First point is this, David stays. The cycle of sin starts with something as small as he didn't get up and do what he was supposed to do. David stays. Second part of, the, of the, is this. David sees. David sees. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed. Now I want you to think about that. When evening came, he arose from his bed. What's he been doing all day? Laying around. He's been sleeping all day. When the evening got there, well, I'll get up and go do something. And he walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. All right. Second thing that happens is David sees. David saw Bathsheba. She's bathing on the roof of her house. A normal thing, they had a rooftop, they had a patio up there. They would do a lot of the normal activity. Sometimes they would cook up there. Lots of times they would eat up there. At certain times of the year, they would sleep up there. During this time, she is bathing up there. David's over in the king's palace. He gets up off his bed in the evening. He's looking, and he sees her bathing on the roof of her house. Um, Sees her from a distance. Now, here's what I, I wonder why was this any different from any other time? Why was this such a big deal? He sees her. Now, well, she, she's naked. She's taking a bath. I, I looked up and the best I could tell at this point, David has eight wives. He has eight wives. He's seen women. He's got eight of them in the house. What is it about her on her house? So what has happened that he's, he's willing to take these steps and do these things because this woman's over on her house. Um, here's the here's the deal. The Bible tells us our eyes can lead us to sin, and I in fact I start to think about it. There's a whole lot of our sin that goes back to we see something, uh, we long for something, we want something, and there's a whole lot of problems that are caused by our eyes. Well, here's the point to this second uh, piece in our lesson today, tonight is this. Today, we must flee from temptation. We must guard what it is we see with our eyes. Our eyes still lead us to sin. Now, here's the deal. David goes out. It's no big deal. He thinks it's fine. It's no big deal. Today, I think more than ever, we fall into that same trap. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And then watch. We watch sin. TV, videos, movies, the phones we have. We listen to sin. Sins that Christ died for, people sing about those things. And we listen to sin. And so we're watching sin, we're laughing at sin, we're entertained by sin, we're hearing sin, and it's no different than David. What we begin to take in begins to influence our actions, our thoughts, what we do. By what we see, what we listen to, what we make available to ourselves, we put ourselves in compromising situations. Here's the truth of this point. We have to be very smart and diligent and careful about what we see, what we hear, where we go, and where we allow ourselves to to hang around, to be. Back a, a month or two ago, we had the ladies' event. Uh, Shirley Watts was talking, and the ladies were giving their testimonies. And I, I, she said this, and it struck with me. And I wrote it down. I thought about it again today. Advice that you would give to younger women. Advice that you would give to older women. And she said this, and this was her testimony. Uh, for most of her life, she thought it's okay to get close to the line, just don't cross the line. And she said there's a pit. And if you get in the pit, you're going to fall in the pit. And she said, it's okay to get close to the pit, just don't get in the pit. And she said, that's how she lived her life. That's what she thought, except there was a point when she realized when you get close to the pit and you're standing by the pit, the ground underneath you is crumbling away and you're going to fall in the pit. And the the best advice is this, be careful, watch what you see, guard what you hear. Be careful where you go, where the situations you put yourself in. We have to be serious about guarding um, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds. What we put in will influence us. Guess what? He goes out. He's not where he should be. He does something else. He's looking. He's on his rooftop and he's looking. And what he sees with his eyes starts a process, all right? The next thing we see, David sins. David stays, David sees, now David sins. 2 Samuel 11, verses three and four. So, that's where it starts. So, David sent and inquired about the woman. He's up there, he sees her, she's beautiful. So, David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. When she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. All right, notice what happens in these two verses. David now deliberately sins. He stayed home. I don't know if that's a sin or not. It's it's not where he should have been. He goes out and he's looking around. I I don't know if that's a sin or not. He should have watched where his eyes were. But in this verse, these two verses, David now deliberately has sinned. Here's the truth about sin. All sin is deliberate. We plan it, we think about it, we do it, we carry it out. Now sometimes that's fast, sometimes that's not a long process, but there's never been a person that sinned against their will. They sinned because they sinned, and they sinned because they wanted to sin. Sometimes folks come and say, you know what, I don't know, and I don't know. We sin, I sin, you sin, because we want to sin. And sin is deliberate. And so David's up there, and he sees, and he says, you know what, I'm going to send a delegation. I'm going to find out who she is. I'm the king of Israel. They're going to bring her back to my palace. Here's Here's the point to this. We must be careful not to make light of our responsibility in sin. If we're not careful, we are easy on sin, ours and other people. If we're not careful, our goal becomes to make folks comfortable in their sin. And so I'll just tell you, here's how it looks today. In an attempt not to offend anybody, I don't want to offend myself, and I don't want to offend you. We start being accepting of sin. We start being easy about sin. And so there's a sin, and it's terrible, and it's grievous, whatever it is. And we say, well, that's all right. Well, that's no big deal. Well, how would you have not done that? Well, you were just tempted. Well, you just fell into that. Well, it's, it's okay. Everybody does it. It's not the end of the world. And we start to be easy about sin. We, we become light on sin, we have to be very careful uh, to not make light of our responsibility in sin. I watch a lot of churches today, and and for churches, if you're not careful, the the goal can be just grow. We want more people, and we want more people. and That's the goal. Well, if I offend you by saying you know what God's word says, that's a sin. Well, you might not come back. You may not. Uh, you may not bring your friends if you do come back. And so we start to be. Um, appeasing and easy on the truth that sin is wrong, uh, sin is an assault, a rejection, a rebellion against God, and sin is our responsibility. I think that right there is the starting place for us coming to Christ. When you understand I have sinned, and I need a Savior for sin, and I need a remedy for sin, because of the heaviness of my sin, we start to look for the remedy that we have in Christ. But if the world says it's no big deal, it's no big deal, uh, we don't need a savior. You know what? Christ can, he'll be fine. I'm all right. Uh, Nobody's too upset about this sin. David sins. He does it. He enters into it. It's deliberate. Any sin that we are found in, we do it. We're responsible for it. We enter into it. All right, next part. Sin escalates. Sin escalates. 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 6 and I'm going to read it to verse 25. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent, Uri- sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people of the state of war. Then David said to Uriah, go to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his own house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his own house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your own house? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. They're out fighting. And my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed before his Lord's servants, But he did not go down to his own house. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city, he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab. And some of the people among David's servants fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling all the events of the, of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king wrath rises, and he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot you from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech the son of Jerubbeth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent to tell. The message said to David, the men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall, so some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David said to his messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. All right, that's a long story. Listen to the progression here. Uh, Bathsheba is with child. She's pregnant. Uh, David can't get caught in that. And so he says, well, we'll send for her husband and she'll come home. Uh, He sends for Uriah. Uriah comes home, but he won't go to his house. He says, the army's out fighting and I'm not going to go to my house if they can't go to their house. And so he stays on the porch of the king's house. Well, David says, that's not going to work. So the next day he gives him a bunch to eat, gives him a bunch to drink and thinks, well, he's intoxicated, now he'll go home. He has enough integrity that even intoxicated, he says, I'm not going to go home, and he stays there again. David has to have a second plan. That didn't work. There's no way to cover this up. Uh, with time, it's going to come to life. And so he tells the general, send him uh, to the front lines, find the fiercest part of the battle, and then when he's there, back everybody up and let him be killed. Now, it's an interesting thing. Here's this man, Uriah the Hittite, and he is an honorable man, and he is committed to his king and his general, and his his king actually lets him carry the letter that's going to get him killed. He actually carries the letter to Joab. They get there. It happens just like that. He reads the letter. He finds the fiercest part of the battle. They get close to the city walls. They back up, and Uriah the Hittite is killed. In short time, here's what's happened. David didn't go where he should have been. David is looking at things he shouldn't have been looking at. And now he's an adulterer. And not only is he an adulterer, now he's a liar. Do you know who knows about this Joab? Joab knows that he says withdraw. Joab knows that he got him killed. He's a liar. He's a betrayer. He's a murderer. Uriah the Hittite is dead. All of these things have come out of a couple of events. A little thing led to another thing led to another thing. i think about that story, and it's it's interesting. When I read this story, I think about 10, 12, 15 years ago, I would read that story, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'd say, David's a scumbag. David's got problems. I I would say, I don't like David. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Well, I don't know what that even means because that's a sorry guy right there. And I couldn't read that and not go, man, I don't like David. What, What a scoundrel. With time, and we'll start to see this, don't you see the pattern of all people? You got better intentions, but you mess up and you mess up and it turns into something else and you try to cover it up and it turns into something else. I wonder at what point does David ever stop and say, How did it ever get here? How did it ever get here? Joab knows I'm a liar. Bathsheba knows what's happened. Uriah the Hittite's dead. My word isn't worth two cents. I wonder, does he, does he sit and just go, I don't, I, I can't imagine that it ever got here. And, and here's where it is. Notice this. The spiral of sin just keeps getting bigger. And bigger and bigger. And then the second thing is this notice this, with each step, more and more people are impacted. You know, the first person impacted is David, and now it's Bathsheba, and now it's Uriah the Hittite, and now it's, it said some other folks died with him. When they pulled back, they were up there with him, they died as well. Some other folks died as well. Here's the truth of sin two things. A little becomes a little, becomes a little, becomes a little, becomes a little, until it becomes a lot. And that's the truth of sin. If something doesn't happen, if something doesn't change, a little becomes a little, becomes a little, becomes a little, and then all of a sudden it becomes a lot. Second thing to notice about sin is this. It always hurts somebody else. And when I read that story, I sometimes miss, did you know every time it escalated, more people were included in the people that were hurt. Now it's this many people are hurt. Now it's this many people are hurt. When you sin, it doesn't just impact you. Other people are hurt as well. All right, the last section we're going to look at, God saw it all. God saw it all. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. I want you to listen to this account. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's the prophet. And he came to him and said, David, here I got a story for you. I want you to listen to it. You're the king. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup, And lie in his bosom on his lap. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd. The traveler comes. It's customary to have a dinner for the traveler. And so instead of getting a lamb from his own field, from his own flock, here's what he does. To prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus the Lord God of Israel says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. I gave you all of this. I gave you a kingdom. If that weren't enough, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I'm gonna stop right there. God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. Now, here's here's the interesting thing here. David just keeps moving along. David just keeps moving along. They're they're living up there in the the palace. And I don't know, is is he feel consumed in guilt? Can he sleep at night? I don't know. Is he worried? I don't know. But he just keeps moving along until Nathan shows up and says, this is what you've done. Till Nathan shows up and confronts him of his sin. Now, I want you to see this. Once he's confronted, uh, this is why this is a man after God's own heart. He repents. Uh, he asks God to forgive him. If you want to see what he actually says, Psalm 51 is actually his prayer. Uh, My sin is ever before me, O Lord. Against you and you alone I have sinned. You are justified when you judge. That's what he says. Psalm 51 is his actual prayer after being convicted, uh, confronted by Nathan. But here's the thing. Nothing changed until he was confronted. He didn't repent. He didn't turn. He was fine just going on until he was confronted. Here's the reality. God saw it all the way along. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing. Once he knew, God knew. Once he was convicted, once it was in his face, He's ready to repent. Now, the Bible says God forgave him. That's how God works. But it's an interesting thing. Until he knew God knew, nothing changed. But the reality is this. God saw it all. God saw when he stayed home. God saw when he tried to cover it up. God saw every piece of it. Here's the thing for us to end with tonight. How would it impact our decisions, I'm talking about each of us as individuals, if we thought about the truth that God sees us in our sin? He doesn't catch up with us later. It doesn't surprise him and roll up on him uh, at some time when we confess it. God actually sees our sin. He sees as it happens. How would it impact how we live, how we act, how we talk, how we respond if we actually thought, God sees our sins as they happen. Here's here's the question for us to think about. We're about to end. So how can we be reminded of that truth? You know what? I need to remember God sees. I need to remember God knows. And I need to be reminded of that more often, more frequently. So how can we be reminded of this truth? And I'll just tell you a couple ways. One of them is you have to walk with God you got to spend time in a relationship with God. The more you read your Bible, I tell folks, the more you read your Bible, guess what? Uh, Your propensity to enter into sin becomes lower and lower, less and less. And I'll tell you, a person that's read their Bible that hour, I think has a lower propensity to enter into sin that hour. Doesn't say they won't sin, but I think it's less likely. Uh, We spend time in prayer. And I'll tell you, a person that's prayed in the morning, a person that's constant in prayer, I think if you're in prayer, constant in prayer, your propensity to sin right then is lower than it would if you hadn't prayed in three or four weeks. I think our walk with Christ, our walk with God has to be current, has to be growing, and that helps us be reminded, God sees what I do. I think there's other things. Christian friends, Christian people. We ought to be around people that it would hurt their feelings to see us enter into sin, that they would be disappointed, to see us enter into sin. Do you know I notice There's really two kinds of friends. There's some that when you sin, they say, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Don't beat yourself up. Do you know why that is? It makes them feel better in their sin. And so there's friends that you, you wreck and you mess up, and they say, it's all, don't worry. what were you gonna do, not do that? And they make you feel, and then there's others that say, oh, that's not good, that's not gonna end well. Uh, Man, we ought to pray about that. And they are considering, considerate, uh, even disappointed in your sin. We ought to surround ourselves with people uh, that don't want us to sin, that don't want us to fall into the pain of sin, and that encourage us to look more like Christ. And so what do we do? We have a a walk with Christ. We spend time uh, reading the Bible. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in Christian fellowship. God can always see. We ought to be aware of that. Now, let me tell you, I read this account. Um, if you read this account, chapter 8 to chapter 12, you're going to go, wow, this is, this is crazy. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here happening in succession that you go, that's, that's crazy. I think when I read that, sometimes I think, that's heavy. Um, that, that's really kind of depressing. Look at what's become of David. Uh, It's heavy, and I think the ending to our lesson should be this. All sin will have a terrible ending apart from Jesus Christ. And that's the point to the whole thing. It doesn't matter. When I read this, you know what David's done, what every person's done, he's wanted something that wasn't his, he's taken something that wasn't his, he's lied about it, he's tried to cover it up. But you know what, if we will confess our sin, the Bible says God is righteous and just, 1 John 1:9. to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Doesn't matter your sin, doesn't matter the gravity of it, doesn't matter if everybody knows it, doesn't matter if nobody knows it, if we'll confess our sin, he'll forgive us, he'll renew us, and he'll restore it. All sin has a terrible ending outside of Christ. Praise the Lord, we as sinners have the Savior that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm glad you're here. I'm gonna ask if you'll stand I'm going to leave this in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. During Father we come, we're thankful for a forgiving Savior, a gracious Savior, uh, for a Savior that knows we are sinners, uh, that we do things that we regret, things we would love to take back, but we can't. And where we couldn't do anything about it, you make a way through Christ that we could be forgiven, redeemed, restored, renewed, our shame lifted off of us. I thank you for that. But then in, in, the, in the meantime, Lord, I pray that we would be um, considerate of sin, that we would see it, that we would call it what it is, that we would be warned of it, that we would have a disdain for it, that we would be smart and we'd flee from it, we'd run from it. And we, we wouldn't get close to the pit. We'd get as far back as we could. Better to stand with you in your righteousness uh, than close to sin. And so, Lord, help us in that. Help all these lessons tonight that we're teaching in all these classes bear that fruit, uh, make that mark, and, and lead us in that truth as, as followers of Christ. And then we just tell you, Lord, we're thankful for this time, for this evening, for your truth. And I pray all of this In Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. Thank you.